0: Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas early. I know there's a lot of you that are excited about this week and you have family coming in town and I really hope you enjoy that time together. Uh, If you've been around, you know this Advent season we've been looking at uh, the perfect plan of God's redemption. We've seen how God knows just when to show up and his timing is perfect. Shows up to just the right time to just the right people in just the right way. We looked at how that timing lined up perfectly with the prophecy of Daniel. We saw that Jesus was a virgin fulfilling, or Jesus was born of a virgin, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. We talked about how he was born in the city of Bethlehem, fulfilling the prophecy of Micah. How he was born in the line of David, fulfilling that covenant promise to David of an everlasting kingdom. He was begotten, not made, fully God and fully man. We've seen how God knows how to speak up and how his communication is clear. He brings blessing to those who surrender their life to Christ. Those angelic announcements told us that he would be the son of God, that he came to save his people from their sins, that he would accomplish their redemption. That message was clear when the angel spoke to the shepherds and says, "This was a savior born for you, who is Christ the Lord." Last week we talked about how Jesus knows how to hold us up, bringing blessing to those who serve him, mercy to those who fear life without him. And how Jesus gives victory in our humility. He satisfies us with good, and most importantly, how Jesus brings redemption to those who put their trust in him. God knows when to show up. God knows when to speak up. God knows how to hold us up. And as we'll see this morning, God knows when to offer himself up. We looked at this passage in our study of Romans. Chapter 5, verse 6 tells us, and listen to the preciseness of this. At just the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. See, a day was set for his birth. That's what we celebrate during Christmas, but we also need to be reminded that there was a day set for his death. And so Christmas is undeniably tied to the cross. It's important to see as we look at these details that this is not something that kind of God made up as He went along. This was a plan from before the world began. And all of the events took place in a a predetermined order, each one of them occurring at just the right time. This morning, we'll focus specifically on that time between Christmas and the cross, a season in which God reveals His heart for you. For me. A time where he carries out his plan for our highest good, and he offers to us that gift of his grace. That's what we want to really center our hearts on this morning. So before we look at his word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we come to your word. Would you help us see your heart? Would you reveal to us the truths that transform our lives? That show us who you are and your great love for us, and that we would see the gift of your grace in new and inviting ways. Father, go before us by the power of your Spirit through the truth of your word to the glory of your name. Let me pray this in your name. Amen. So, if you would turn to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, I chose a passage in Galatians because. I really think it takes us from the Christmas to the cross, and so I want us to look at that together. So Galatians chapter 4, and if you want to, you can begin reading with me in verse 4. It says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, I want to pause there, even though it's one verse, because there's a lot packed into this one verse. Paul begins by saying, in the fullness of time. In other words, God ordained a specific time when Jesus would be born. All of the events of God's redemptive plan took place in a specific order, each of them occurring at just the right time, including the birth of Jesus. And so we should ask ourselves, so what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that he came at just the right time? I don't know that we can answer that definitively, although I think there's a lot in history that we can look at that helps answer the question. For example, we know that Alexander the Great, when he was uh, conquering and creating his empire, he assimilated all the peoples that he conquered into the Greek culture. And what that did is it created a common language among this massive empire that he created. Then when the Romans came along after Alexander the Great, they established a network of roads that connected all these people groups over much of the then-known world. Also by this time, we know that there was this huge pantheon of of gods and and goddesses from the Greeks and the Romans. And added to that during Rome's time is, is the worship of Caesar. And yet all of these deities were... Not dependable or predictable in any way. It was into this setting, this time, that Jesus was born. And so we can kind of see some of the ways in which the time was right, because that common language is what allowed the good news to be spread from person to person. It was the transportation of those roads that allowed the spread of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. Those False gods continued to fail, but the message of Jesus was changing the world as it still is today. And Paul goes on and says, when that time was fulfilled, God sent forth his son. Now, what this is telling us is that Jesus existed before he was born. We, we talked about this. He, he wasn't created, as we see from this text, he was commissioned. He was commissioned to be a divine representative who would carry out God's plan of redemption. Listen to how the author of Hebrews describes this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. I love, I think it was Max Lucado who once said that Jesus is God with skin on. I think that's a good description of what we see in the incarnation. He was not created as we see in this passage. He was the creator of all things. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. So that when you see Jesus, you see God. Jesus was divine in origin, but he was human in his identity. Paul goes on and says he was born of a woman. So God was fully man and yet fully God. And we see that being played out in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul writes in verse 6. He says, although he existed, talking of Jesus, in the form of God, he did not re- guard equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. You see, Jesus was the creator and ruler of all the world. We see that in that Hebrews passage. And so as the one who has complete authority, he has every right to be served, right? Right? And yet Mark tells us that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus emptied himself, and I believe what it's talking about here is Jesus forfeiting the ability to have any personal benefits from his divinity. He did this so that we could relate to him in his humanity. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 15 says that we do not have a high priest. And when you think about that term high priest, I want you to think of an advocate, somebody who stands on your behalf before God. That's what Jesus is doing. And he says, Jesus is not one who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in all things yet without sin in his humanity. Jesus felt the lure of temptation In the busyness of his ministry, he was tired, he was hungry, he needed rest, he needed food. He wept with those who wept. We see that at the tomb of Lazarus. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced. We see that at the wedding of Cana. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And as Paul says next, he was born under the law. That last part of this verse is really important. Because it's saying that Jesus was held accountable to the same standard that was applied to all mankind. He too was born under the requirements of the law. Requirements that reveal the righteousness of God, which is why no man was able to fulfill them. Romans chapter 7 verse 12 tells us that the law is holy. That the commandment is holy and righteous and good. See, but when our lives are compared against this holy standard, it reveals our sin. But when Jesus' life is compared against this holy standard, it reveals his perfect righteousness. See, Jesus fulfilled the law through his perfect obedience. Look at how Paul continues in verse 5 says, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. So now he's going to explain why Jesus was born under the law. He was born under the law so that he might redeem those who are condemned by the law. Because remember, we said to be under the law is to be held accountable to its requirements. And anyone who cannot fulfill the requirements of the law is condemned by that law. That's why Paul says earlier in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that the law is a curse. So on one hand, the law is good because it reveals our sin. Otherwise, we are blind to our sin and prone to think that we're doing just fine on our own. So the law is good. It reveals our sin, but it's, on the other hand, bad. It's a curse because it condemns the sin that it has revealed. But through His perfect obedience... Jesus fulfilled the law. The law is holy and righteous and good. And having fulfilled the law, we can see that Jesus is holy and righteous and good. Through his perfect obedience, Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't go to the cross because of a payment for his sin. He went to the cross as a payment for our sin. That's why that verse tells us he became a curse for us. We talked about that word redemption recently and how important it is in the biblical context. From a biblical perspective, to, to redeem is to purchase the freedom of someone else. We talked about how that was applied with slaves during ancient times where someone could, in effect, buy a slave for their services and then choose, having paid the full price to then set them free. They were then called redeemed. But that freedom could not be granted unless that price was paid. And When it comes to our salvation, the price for our freedom is death. It's death. That's the price for our freedom. We know that's true because Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's the price required which means Jesus had to pay that full price in order to set us free. We cannot be saved without the crucifixion. That's why Christmas is tied to the cross. Jesus was in effect born in order to die. Jesus was the only one who could pay that price because the penalty of death did not apply to him. His perfect obedience is what qualified him to be a perfect sacrifice. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is what the Bible calls a substitutionary atonement. It's substitutionary because in his humanity, Jesus took our place on the cross but in his divinity, his sinless sacrifice was completely sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. He is the Son of God, and because of that, we can, through faith in him, become members of the family of God. Our redemption, as this passage tells us, leads to our adoption. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right To become children of God. I think we get a glimpse of this when the women go to anoint the body of Jesus when he was placed in the tomb. As you know, when they arrive, what did they find? Empty tomb. He wasn't there. After a few minutes of confusion, Jesus appears to the women and it says that they stopped and worshiped and embraced him. And then Jesus says something really interesting to them in Matthew chapter 28, verse 10. He says, do not be afraid. Go and take the word, get this, to my brothers. Not my disciples, not the guys I was hanging out with, but my brothers. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and I will see them there. That's because by faith, his disciples were members of God's family. They were his brothers. And by faith, our redemption leads to our adoption. We too are members of God's family. We are his brothers and sisters. Now look at verse 6 as Paul continues. It says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I was told in seminary that anytime you see a therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. And so as we look at our passage this morning, it's there for a connection between the work of Christ and the impact that has on us. In other words, based on what Christ has done, this is what we can do. And this passage tells us that we can go through, to God through the intimacy of a father-son, a father-daughter relationship. It says that we can cry out to him as, as Abba, as father. But this is only true, the text tells us, because of a miracle that takes place in our heart. It says, because we are sons and daughters, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our heart. That, that Spirit is the seal of our relationship with Him. In a way, it's kind of God's stamp of approval that says, this one belongs to me. In Ephesians, Paul describes it this way in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, In Him you also, after having listened to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were, there it is, sealed, protected, In him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So, what this is telling us is that we are related to God not through our blood, but through his spirit. It's kind of like our spiritual DNA, the proof that we are one of his. And not only does this seal our future inheritance, but it has every impact on our personal relationship in the present. Because we no longer relate to God out of fear or duty. It's now privilege and gratitude. We can approach the throne of graces with confidence, as the Scripture tells us. And as we've learned in our passage, speaking to Him as as Abba, as Father. Those are terms of deep affection. They're sincere. They're they're meaningful. Now, I'm grateful because I have a great relationship with my dad. I know not everybody grew up with that experience, but I'm very thankful that I have. And so for that reason, I don't call my dad Marvin or Dr. Sapisa. That's what his acquaintances and colleagues call him. To me, he's dad. And I have a unique relationship with my dad that I don't have with other people. He knows me. He loves me. He wants what's best for me. It's a relationship that ultimately is built on trust, because I believe that's true. Well, we have the same privilege when it comes to our relationship with God. He knows you. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. It's a relationship that's ultimately built on trust, even during some of the hardest moments in life, because that's where trust is really demonstrated, right? We can see that in the life of Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. As you know, this is just moments before his death on the cross. I want you to listen to what Jesus says, and I want you to notice the connection to the passage in Galatians that we just looked at, because notice how he speaks to God. In verse 36, he was saying, here it is, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. That's a relationship that's built on trust, isn't it? Believing that God will accomplish his highest good even in the moments of our deepest pain. Abba, Father, not not my will, but your will. That's, That's a relationship of trust. And the reason that we can say that is because of what took place on the cross. If God can take the most wretched wrong that the world has ever seen, and turn it into the highest good of those who trust in him, what can he not do? He can do everything, right? We've been learning in Romans that nothing is impossible with God, and he can bring the dead to life, that he can create something out of nothing, and this forever faithful God is fully committed to you. I think I shared this uh, with you a few weeks ago when I talked about the baptism of Jesus and the significance of that scene when he was there and the voice from heaven spoke and says, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. I remember being impressed with that scene in my mind, but I was thinking, okay, that applies to Jesus, but does it apply to me? And based on what we looked at in our passage this morning, it absolutely applies to me, as it does to you too. Because when you put your faith in Christ, you become a part of God's family. And so that he can, in that very same way, look at you and say, you are my beloved son or my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And you can say, and you are my heavenly father, Abba and I will trust in you. I want us to think about all that we've been trying to put together during this Advent season, because as Brian mentioned, it's an incredible story, and you're right there in the middle of it. It's a story that began before the world ever began. A plan of our redemption from before the beginning of the world, and that plan had a predetermined order of events. And those events were designed to take place at very specific points in time. We know that God spoke through the prophets and and told of the promise of a Messiah. A Messiah who would come at a certain time, in a certain way, in a certain place, to to carry out a specific purpose. His name would be Jesus. who, Who would be a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We just learned Jesus was sent by God, and we know that He eternally existed in the presence of God, in perfect fellowship with God, and that in His divinity, He would reveal the very nature and power of God's glory, and that in His humanity, He would empty Himself. He would set aside His divine rights in order to fulfill that redemptive purpose. A purpose that was filled, as we learn, because he was born under the law. He was responsible or accountable to those requirements. And he fulfilled those requirements through perfect obedience, revealing his perfect righteousness. So that when he went to the cross, there was a miraculous exchange that took place. He took the punishment for our sin in exchange for his perfect righteousness. And all this was made possible as a gift of God's grace. So during the Christmas season, I think it's really important for us to pause long enough just to take some time to consider this gift. I know that we all get excited, especially when we're young, about all the gifts that we'll receive mainly and some of the gifts that we'll give that we're excited about. And so I want you to be thinking about the gift that you've received from, from God, the gift of His grace. I remember when we had younger kids, my favorite gifts were the ones that they made personally. I mean, they weren't very expensive. They often weren't very pretty, but they were very special because they were handmade. They were with intention and love, just kind of built into them. Those were my, even to this day, my favorite gifts. Well, when you open the gift of God's grace, that's what you're going to find. It's made with purpose and intention. It's a gift of grace that is filled with great love. And I I hope that as you think about all the things that we are to be thankful about during this time of year, that one of the things that stands out most is that gift of God's grace, given freely through the work of Christ for your redemption the praise and glory of his name. Let's pray together and then we'll close in song. Father, thank you for that gift of your grace, the promise of hope and salvation in you. Thank you that you had a plan from before the world began and that plan had a specific order of events and those events took place at just the right time. Thank you, Lord, for all the ways in which you have made yourself known with such clarity and how you've invited us with such sincerity to be members of your family through faith in Christ your Son so that we can approach you with confidence knowing that we have been forgiven and we are covered by your grace and that we live eternally in your presence because of your promise. We belong to you. And you are pleased with us. You see us through the work of your son, and we are grateful for that truth. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand. good news, isn't it? I do hope that as you gather together this Christmas, I really hope you have a wonderful time with family. hope you enjoy being together, laughing together, eating together, and just being together. And I hope that you're thankful that we get a chance to do what we're doing together as a church family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, what a blessing it is. But I also want to recognize that there will be some of us who will be missing people that we'd be love to share Christmas with this year. But I want to remind you that Christmas in heaven is a whole lot better than Christmas here that everything that we've been talking about that we look forward to seeing in fullness someday they have already seen and they are celebrating every detail of it so we can rejoice knowing that that's true because they belong to him and we can rejoice in celebrating what we have as children who also belong to him so I want you to have a great Christmas time and enjoy your time with family Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for the time together as a family. Thank you that we're a family because that's what you made us when we became a part of your family. We belong to you. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And you are our heavenly father in whom we can speak to with such intimacy. Abba, father, we belong to you. And you are pleased with us because you see us through the finished work of the cross. May we celebrate that gift of grace in new and special ways this year to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. Have a Merry Christmas, everyone.